Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Eitan Reisel, managing partner of V-Games, an early-stage gaming VC from Israel. Eitan and his team have been operating for a few years now with two funds raised, and they've already been investing in dozens of gaming companies worldwide. In this discussion, we talk about Eitan's approach to helping founders, how he makes investment decisions, and what the future looks like for both mobile and crypto gaming. The dilemma at the heart of mobile gaming. Monetizing your great work while keeping gamers engaged and not distracted by intrusive ads. Well, our partners on this podcast have a very clever solution. AudioMob delivers in-game audio ads so that game developers can monetize their players without interrupting gameplay. Audio ads are better at retaining happy gamers than video ads and can actually work alongside video ads too. This is all the while having much higher CPMs than banner ads, up to 600% higher. AudioMob's Unity plugin is simple to set up It can take just minutes, allowing complete privacy control, and you can even reward players for extra gratification. Simple, clever, and rewarding. Go to audiomob.com for details and to speak to the team. All right, we're live. Hi, Ethan. Welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. (laughs) Thanks. Means a lot. Can, Can you... Talk about your origin story as the first first thing here on the pod. Like, how did you make your way into investing in games and to start building V games? Yes, to be honest, by mistake, but, I, <laughs> but I'll give you some more details on that. So I, I, I grew up and living in Israel, uh, Tel Aviv. Some people that don't know that Tel Aviv is part of Israel. It's this big city or a small city, depending on where you look, in, in the center of Israel. So I was in the Navy for many years, started my business career in 2007, founded my first company. Then 2010 had a pretty cool opportunity. I was one of Google's first employees on the business side here in Israel. We have a pretty significant office. For the first two years, I've done, you know, worked with uh, publishers and uh, advertisers and stuff like that. And then I got a bit bored and there was a pretty cool opportunity in 2000, end of 12, beginning of 13, Google like analyzed what's going on in the world. They saw Facebook are eating their lunch literally with everything that has to do with game and working with game publishers and stuff like that. And because Israel was pretty strong by then in the scene, we had Playtica here in Plarium, which were pretty active on uh, Canvas. So why not build a team in Israel, you know, support game publishers, learn from them, because we as Israelis love to share, sometimes a little bit too much, I guess, you know, what works in other places. And yeah, and I was privileged, like I got to set up this team from scratch, hired a lot of people around the world, working with amazing developers from their early days, folks in Israel like Moon Active, Playtica, Plarium, Crazy Lab, because we're pretty dominant in the social casino space very quickly, we also work with Tiyuj and Zynga and other folks, scientific games and... Four years later, we were one of the largest gaming teams, I think, in the world. And I built my personal network. I fell in love, you know, besides the fact that I love playing, I saw the business opportunity. 2018, took a year of break, did some real estate stuff. And then I said, no way, I have to go back to games. Did three angel investments. 
And then I just said, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like uh, gaming is more expensive today. You know, founders, they're very strong founders. You know, we need more capital to back them. Israel was pretty, you know, we had Gigi, who was an amazing investor and pretty active, but it was pretty much only him. And I said, let's take an amazing model, like play ventures in, you know, in your region, uh, a lot of folks in the US, folks in Asia and bring it to Israel. Never knew what a VC is besides spelling the words. So I had to start learning and I had a lot of luck. I had two very quick backers that said, you know what, sounds like a good story. Let's do it. For me, it sounded like a sweet spot because it's my work. My role at Google was a little bit like consultancy in a way. So I said, okay, I think this good angle. And uh, that's what set up Big Games 1. In March 2020, we're in, in quarantine. I actually told my wife I may consider going back to Google because I don't know how this is going to play out. But it played out pretty cool. So now Big Games 1 was a $60 million fund. Big Games 2 is a $140 million fund. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but we did 25 investments in like 20 months. So we're pretty active. Yeah, so uh, I'm loving it every day, and especially yeah. our founders, yeah. their family to me. Yeah, isn't this the best job to be helping founders and, and trying to make them succeed and like seeing so much, learning so much? That That's what I love about the investing side, really. So I so think you, you, the killer words is what you just said. I think it's learning. You know, I was never an operator and I totally understand that. You know, so I don't think that I know anything more than my founders do. And I learned from them so much. And the fact that we can help with financing, the fact that we can help with, you know, sometimes challenging their thoughts, the fact that we can help with, you know, growth. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. The fact that we build a community that they can help each other, for me, that's even more important than what we can do for them is... You know, as investors, yeah, I'm loving every day. I think we have beautiful support from the community, beautiful support from other funds. I think that's also a beautiful ecosystem in general. And you know, in a way, we're competing, but I don't think we're competing. We'll always prefer to invest with each other than to invest with others. You know, yeah. and we, in, in a way, have also different, you know, global and geo coverage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it really, it's a dream come true. And it's mine. You know, I'm also a founder. I set this up. I raise capital. We're investing, you know. Yeah. I'm an entrepreneur like our founders are. And, and it's great because you remember that it's some days challenging, some days great, some days are difficult. But, you know, that's the roller coaster of uh, building companies or building uh, ventures. It is. It is. Hey, we're going to come back to, to being an investor soon. I, I wanted to first give the audience more information about the games. You guys are quite new. I, I think everybody's new still, like the whole games industry VC scene just showed up five years ago. What is the focus of V games? What kind of games, what kind of stages do you invest in? Yes, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a perfect question. So we're a dedicated games fund, you know, like many others, I think in this space, I think with a few key differentiators. So one, we are geo-agnostic. We are based in Israel and it's important for me to invest in the ecosystem here. And it's important because I think we do have a beautiful scene, but we are very opportunistic. We have portfolio companies in India, Singapore, Finland, Europe in general, Eastern Europe and the US. So, you know, we, we, there are a few continents that we didn't get to. So if you look at our portfolio, maybe besides one or two companies, majority are game studios. And I think that's where our pillar is. If you think about it, you know, when you get like a third party solution opportunity or something like that, I don't think that we don't understand enough, but I think we'll be competing with many other funds that can be generalist funds and stuff like that. And I think our value creation is really in the game content itself. 
You know, you know this better than I do. That's where the risk and the opportunity is. And it's really our focus. Of course, we'll talk about crypto and Web3. That's a little bit of a different angle because we're taking also the platform side and not only the gaming side. But in general, we're very, very, so yeah, it's, we're a geo-agnostic fund, very, very content-driven. And the third, I'd say pretty agnostic in terms of stage. We're a very small team, so we can be very flexible. So some of our companies we incubated, actually four out of them, companies that we really built the team we brought the idea we put the first funding a lot of our companies we did the seed rounds but we also led like three or four growth rounds like significant a round b round checks so it's really 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 on the opportunity the strength of the founders of course the more mature the company is the strength of the kpis the strength of the strategy but we'll do anything you know if we join the right a bit later fine and if we have the opportunity to join early then amazing yeah makes total sense here, let, let's talk about the investing side and, and being an investor. Like, what is your approach to helping the founders that you've invested in? Do you like do you like to be pulled in, or do you offer more like regular catch ups? This kind of pushing that help to the founders, or what's been working well for you for helping founders? I think it's a it's a it's a super important question, and let me answer it like in two layers. The first layer is. We're never smarter than our founders, and that's a key component. Like, so we'll never try to dictate on what we think they should do, right? And and I think that's important for founders that also outreach to V Games. You know, that's our philosophy. You know, we invest in founders that we believe in them. We believe in what they know, and we believe in their way, and we believe in, you know, their dreams, right? So on the flip of that, both Daniel and I, which are the more active key members of uh, investing, are you know our background is marketing a lot with finance. We do a lot of debt financing that's not equity financing to support growth because I believe that game companies, healthy game companies, are like banks. You put in a dollar, you get five. There's no reason why to dilute our founders with capital to do that. We're totally so we do have cadence. We meet very often. My, most of my time is is dedicated to the portfolio because. I believe that that's our job, but really based on what they need. So, you know, where, so if they're now approaching another round, sometimes I do the entire round, like they're not even active at it because I want them to focus. It has to do with financing. It has to do with HR. We interview a lot. I do a lot of exec interviews for our portfolio. I think that's actually five or six hours a week of my time. So it's really where, you know, where they pull us in and where they need us, you know, I, I, to be very transparent, the way I measure us as a fund is how satisfied our uh, founders are and how happy they are with V Games. And, you know, if they'll mention us as one of their best investors, because I think that's, that's our job. You know, I, I'll tell you a small secret. When I was at Google, I had many employees and the only way I would measure them truly, and my boss didn't really like that, is how much job offers they would get from our partners or customers and and that's really my philosophy in life. You know, value is, is created not by what we think is the value, is what our founders believe that we're generating. And and yeah. maybe the last point on that, you know, with all due respect to Cadence and stuff like that, sometimes the WhatsApp at 11 p.m. is what our founders need, right? And not just the 30-minute, I don't know, once every three weeks or, you know, it's, a, it's sporadic. And, and that's great because then we're part of the team. Constantly saying to founders who I'm helping that just immediately ask me if there's something that you're not unsure about or just don't hold back ever. That's a great way to, to be instilling constantly that help to those people. For sure. How do you make investment decisions at 
the early stage when usually there is no numbers, maybe even often not really a good prototype even? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the trivial answer would be, of course, team. But let me double click on that for a second, because I think, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's value knowledge. So when we look at teams, one, it doesn't have to be experience in games. And I think that's an important factor. Like a lot of our very successful founders haven't worked in Playtick or Moon Active before. And they're still amazing. So this may sound silly, but it's important to me that there are folks who play a lot, like gamers, on especially in the genres that they want to build. I think you know this better than I do. You know, it's hard to build good products today. And you have to explore an experience, right? So one, that's an important factor. I think the second factor is that they have, you know, I don't like the word aggressive, but it's a little bit aggressive. It's an aggressive world. You have to be, you know, you have to chase the opportunities. You have to fight, you know, because, because that's, you know, we're in a very crowded world. You know, you, we're marketing is very expensive. You have to be very unique. So that's the second pillar. The third pillar, you know, if they, if they did take a product to the world, if it's a game or not, I think that's an important factor. You know, taking a product from zero to something for me is more important than taking it from $10 million to $500 million in revenue. I think it's skill set or talent set. And the third and the fourth and maybe the most important component, you know, if you asked me four years ago or when I was more of an angel investor, you know, a lot of the founders, especially in games that we look at, it's like, folks, how big are you? How strong are you in product? Today, marketing is not less important. You can build amazing products and you won't be able to deliver them because if you don't understand the landscape of marketing. So the combination of marketing and product today is, is significantly more important, even to when I started V-Games. Like it, it increased, you know, literally every month, like IDFA changes and stuff like that. Like it doesn't mean that you have to be the number one marketeer, but I want you to see how they think marketing, like they think about the product and the technology behind it. And for me, that's super critical. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's team. And then the last layer is, of, even if it's a very, very early stage, I want to understand what category they're chasing. Is it big enough? Do I believe that there's a big opportunity? We have a component where we said we want to invest in game companies that we believe that with one or two products, they can reach a million dollar a day in revenue. So, you know, they're not too niche or, you know, really a blend of, 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 Big opportunities or not overcrowded, like we haven't done hyper casual investments. Not because I don't think it's big industry. I just don't understand how you can revolutionize it in a way where you have, you know, these giants dominating the buy and sell side. It's funny to say we're the land of social casino. We haven't done social casino investments. Average CPIs today, I think, are $25. You know, you have to really build something unique in that angle. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. But but yeah, but but category is number two, right? It's of course, because, you know, doesn't mean that the first game that they're working on is going to be the last game that's going to be, you know, the giant. And we're privileged there. We've really backed amazing entrepreneurs. Yeah. Actually, I have a follow up question for that, like the, the previous two questions. How do you support the founder when there's like an idea that, hey, this we need to leave it. We need to get out of the business that where we were before. Like, have you, have you been in those situations that have, have you thought about like how the aggressiveness about doing the pivot like plays in and things like that? Yeah. I think it's, it's a very important question for the gaming industry specifically. So I think there are two components as game investors that we not all get one when we're building games, especially, you know, game studios, we're building content. At the end of the day, our drive is content that people will love. And with all the respect, that's all we're building, right? Because you can build good monetization, good, you know, all these funny words, but we have to build, you know, if you're seeing a Netflix series and you're seeing episode one and you want to move on to episode, it has to be good content, right? 
and it takes time. So one, there has to be patience. You can't, you know, there aren't any, okay, one, two, three, boom, we're out, right? You need patience. You want a good, good cohort. You need patience to see retention over time. You know, you do an update to see the 30 and 60 day impact. It's going to take two months and there's no way to shorten that. So I think in one hand, it's important to have patience. On the contrary of that, we have to be brave enough to say we haven't hit here. Let's make sure we don't run out of capital and we try other things, right? And we're not going to push our founders to do that. We'll challenge them why they still believe in what they're building. Right. We'll challenge with difficult questions. Sometimes we may be aligned on the answers sometimes. And of course we find, you know, of course that happened to me. And I don't think there's a game investor who's going to be transferred in the world that didn't say it happened to him 10 times because that's the world we're living in. Then thinking about going from the seed stage to to series A to B, what are some of the characteristics that you've seen with companies, especially in gaming, who managed to go from that seed stage to, to Series A? Yeah, I think our biggest challenge as gaming companies and our biggest advantage is that we're measured in a very, very realistic way. So in games, you often don't see companies that are doing a million dollars are worth five billion, right? You know, maybe one day and then all the funds will be very happy. That means that we're all buying very cheap now. But, you know, realistically, that's, that's not the case. Actually, that's something that, that we can talk separately about, but I think it's part of our responsibility to change that mindset. But, you know, I, I think it's simple. It's core strength. At the end of the day, if you want to see a gaming company grow, they have to have strong retention and that should be backed by strong courts, you know, and, and, and that's the good signals for the A round and that's the good signals for the B round. And the more important is that's the good signals to bring UA debt and to stop taking equity rounds. Why? Right. And, and yeah, I, I think it all comes down to courts. Like we can say a lot of fluffy and nice words, but you know, it's, it's retention that will translate into courts, especially maybe going from the A to B, right? A, sometimes it's still on conviction, but I think, you know, if B, which is probably a significant round you need, we're going to have to see the strength of the economy and the monetization of course coming. Yeah. What do you think about then like the geographical differences with teams raising different kinds of amounts? like US rounds are huge versus Europe. Is that sustainable? What do you think? Yeah, you know what? I, I think it's it's very different strategies. So if you look at, first of all, it really depends on what type of game you're building. So if it's like more mobile, casual, mid-core, probably your ability to get to market is faster with a little bit lower budget. On the other end, I'll be very open and transparent here, and I hope uh, this doesn't keep away a few founders, but like raising 30, $35 million pre-product for us as a fund, is a very difficult strategy and not in a way that I don't think that people are able to raise that. You know, I think this world is moving so quickly that that means that the product will take a lot of time. And, you know, by the time it gets to the market, I don't know how the landscape will look like. So usually we don't participate in stuff like that. And two, maybe we're not big of enough of a fund to take 20 bets of that size. So I think it's more maybe on the type of content, the, the type of teams that are building. You know, we have done, you know, a lot of deals in the US, four or five, if I'm not mistaken of teams that approach it a bit differently and, and maybe that's more suitable for us. So I don't want to criticize anybody. And I think maybe there are teams that that's the right strategy for them. I think the four to $6 million seed, sometimes pre-seed, maybe a little bit lower to help them get to some sort of MVP and then a 10 to $20 million A to B round. I think that's a healthier strategy in the way that it just makes you get out of product of the world quicker, you know, and, and even if it's not a perfect product, at least you can test ground and say, okay, I still have to iterate on my 
depth, but I'm in the right direction or wrong direction. Let's talk about it statistically. I think that in 2023 and 2024, you know, based on the amount of opportunities that we sort, I think they're going to come out like maybe 50 to 100, triple, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that plays. With my first startup, like I remember this question that I was asking because we were making a mid-core game. So the question that I was thinking like, hey, because we can't get out with this game in like, it's going to take 12 months at least and the market will change. But like, I didn't really know what do I do about this. Back in 2013, if you do a mid-core game, it's not going out in two, three months. It was 12 months. But I think you're right. And for mid-core, no doubt, you know, you should raise enough capital to have two years, two and a half years of iterating, you know, build the teams in a way that you're not over-constrained, but you don't have OPEX of, you know, too high that's hard for you. And, and yeah, the, the world is becoming more difficult. It's becoming more competitive. I, I think what's amazing about it is, you know, I think World Match is an example that everybody's using now, right? But besides the fact that the team did amazing, they built a beautiful product, man, you know, and... Yeah. And everything followed their retention metrics, their core metrics. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of room today for mid type products. I think, yeah, the, mm. the gamers, players are expecting beautiful content, fast, seamless. And that's great. That means that the strongest teams will win. And, and you have to build the content in a way that, yeah, if you're a mid core, take another year and build a beautiful product. Don't take another five because I don't know if it's still relevant. But that's yeah. why, you know, it, it, it used yeah. to be, you know, I'm sure you saw this when you raised, right? Seed rounds would be two, three, one and a half million dollars. You know, seed rounds, the reason we did a bigger fund, we're actually, we're keeping the same, just we understood that we have to put larger checks in earlier days, you know, to be able to better support our founders. And that's what we're doing. Like VGames 2 is going to do the amount of investments that VGames 1 did exactly. I don't know, one or two difference. The only thing that changed Instead of writing an average of 1.5 or 2, we're writing an average of 3 to 5. Yeah. That's the only thing that changed in terms of the strategy of the fund. Yeah, it's good to put enough fuel into the tank, get it like a bit further even before the next race. Yeah, For sure. Thinking about the games industry and like observing, things are constantly changing. Now Google is getting into the privacy thing as well. So their version of the... ATT. What do you think about like mobile and the increasing costs and the effects to the studios? Like bigger rounds happening, great teams executing well, like we just talked about dream games. But do you think there's space for the mid-tier, the the unproven teams uh, who need to then execute on like very much on top of their their game to succeed? You know, let's let's approach this again in, in two ways so one you know people want to play games right and they want to play games on their mobile phone so with all due respect to google and apple and all these changes you know discoverability will have to stay and they'll have to find a way you know to to, to do it in, while you know treating privacy in a proper way which is super important as consumers right it's important to us as people who play and use our devices for so many things banks financial services etc cetera, etc cetera. So I think on, on you know, as a, on basic economy, everything finds its place, and I'm sure this will find its place as well. On the developer side, of course, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning, you have to be very good in marketing. You have to be good in the way you do storytelling. You have to be really good in how you build your ad sets and your ad creative. You have to understand that the game itself has to promote, you know, more players and word to mouth, et cetera. And I think, and we're already seeing this movement to more traditional channels, 
you know, it's not only buying ROAS campaigns and target ROAS campaigns on Google and Facebook and ad networks. And, you know, it's a significant change in mindset for game developers. So long-term, do I think that because of CPIs increase, we'll see more challenges? Yes, but like in products, it's going to keep the stronger developers and stronger marketeers in the game. The interesting thing is I'm now hearing that there's more and more this when you have a like a, a more like female-oriented game that the players of those games setting up discords of their own to, to discuss about the game. So I think there's so much untapped things in certain genres, especially where the audience is very broad, but we haven't really like done the right way to reach those audiences. I couldn't agree more. Thinking of how the product supports marketing efforts, I think is so critical when you're building a game company today. You know, community building. Discord is an amazing example. This platform is is changing the gaming ecosystem, A to Z. But if you think about crypto gaming, I think 99% of it is on, on Discord. So yeah. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, thinking of word of mouth strategies, you know, how your game will invite other people to play. How does community build in the content itself? And again, and, and thinking of, you know, let's say now you do a burst in a country and you bring more players speaking the same language at the same time, having leaderboards in your game so people become more competitive. If it's more, you know, AAA content, how you create more people to have excitement at once, events, live events as well. I, I, again, I think it's becoming more challenging on the product side because people are looking for amazing products. On the marketing, it's becoming more expensive and that means... You have to have very strong products and very unique in your marketing strategy. Yeah. The crypto space is showing things now that the, the free-to-play developers might learn a lot actually from, from just building the audience a bit more versus relying so much heavily on performance marketing. You're you know? right. And you, you mentioned, something, you know, I think a lot of games, actually, I was surprised. That I don't want to put anybody on the spot here for my portfolio, but one of my portfolio companies, I think the founder called me like two months ago. He said, hey, Tan. Do you know how many groups we have on Facebook that our, you know, our players created? It's like over 500. I'm like, what do you talk about? I'm, uh, I think I'm 50% of in, in those groups. I wasn't aware of, I'm like, that's uh, surprising, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you yeah. know, good games, create good content. People want to talk about them. You know, we, we both, we would all agree, right? That entertainment is the source of everything and entertainment creates communication. So mm. for sure. And then what about the whole blockchain gaming thing and that sector? How do you see it developing more game teams going over there in the future? What are your thoughts right now? Yeah, so of course it's the hottest topic. Yeah. So let me give you my our thoughts, not only as my thoughts, but how V Games is uh, tackling this. So what we've decided is is actually two pillars. The first pillar is when it comes to Web3 in general and gaming or crypto gaming, I think the most important asset is that still we're building content that people should love, right? Like I said before. And that's the notion of what we should be building. So it has to be very good games that have potentially access to many players and you know, can create strong retention over time and people will come back and play them, et cetera. Of course, the component of Web3 adds new business models, new consumer opportunities, you know, ownership opportunities. And I think for our industry, that's brilliant, right? Because it's not new to our industry. It's just, it's very hyped and it's spotlighted now, but you know, you can trade and buy skins on Fortnite before anybody spoke about Web3 and crypto gaming. I think that's one. Two. 
I think there's a lot of movement for infrastructure in this space, right? How do you take games quicker and safer to crypto? How do you onboard players in a quick matter? How do you keep players safe, right? There's a lot of notion of attacks and, and you know, a lot of uh, misuse of, I think, the entire crypto world. And that's why we are also taking, let's say, a platform strategy here. So versus like traditional games where we focus mainly on content, we have done and are doing investments that are also like in platforms or solutions, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, we're totally open and we are, and we're currently investing in two additional teams that are building games with an angle of crypto. But again, I think those are games that are going to be amazing games regardless of crypto. And they should be targeting everyone because if you're going to target today only the crypto audience, you know, unless you're building new business models like Axie Infinity are trying to do, it's going to be very hard to generate cash because it's just too much of a niche. But hopefully, you know, companies like Coinbase and everything that's happening in the world will open access to more and more people to enter this world. Some won't even know that they're doing crypto, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because we come to consume entertainment and if there are good business models to attach to it, then amazing. No, I, I can tell you that we do see a lot of uh, pitches where, you know, companies show us like white papers on how they're going to do a beautiful NFT drop, et cetera, and build a community around it. You know, sometimes a lot of those folks don't estimate enough the importance or the difficulty of building content behind that. That may be a bit too trendy, but I think that's going to change over time because once some of these companies will start building content and understand how difficult it is and how not trivial, then I think, you know, we're going to see more and strong gaming founders coming into this space and we're seeing amazing opportunities, really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, if I look at any kind of RPG game on mobile, like a, a well-doing RPG game and just think about, I played this game for two years. I have amazing characters, all of them quite high level. If you would have a way to actually like trade, sell characters, it's a different ball game. But I don't really, I wouldn't even need anything else from the crypto land, in a sense, into that game. Besides, I have value with my big characters. I, I couldn't agree more. You want to enjoy, you want to play. And, you know, and, and if commercializing it also gives another entity or another gamefulness to it, then I mean, you know, it's going to make economies difficult, right? Because you have to plan you know, one of the easier things in free to play. It's not easy at all. And it took a lot of game developers still didn't crack it, but it is one closed garden here the garden is not closed anymore i mean you may have a few economies in parallel but you know a lot of folks in this industry are super smart and i'm sure they'll solve that as well so i'm not worried about that yeah definitely it's like people are trying things for sure hey let's go to some investor hot seat questions what is a non-obvious red flag for you to invest in a games company when founders presenting me a game opportunity and tell me why everything is so simple and easy and that's 100% why they're going to win. Then I get scared <laughs> because, you know, scared in a way that, you know, now we have many portfolio companies and I'm not new to this industry. And I don't think anything in this space is easy. When it was easy, it was crowded with much more product. And I can tell you, let me give you a good example. We've got a lot of, I'm sure you, you've seen this as well. A lot of folks who are building skill companies, like skill gaming companies, like Papaya MPL these guys and a lot of them say, yeah, we'll add a little bit of meta, meta to the game and this is our differentiator, et cetera. But, you know, in a way, when you're building a skill company, it's only it's almost a gambling company. You need regulations and fraud and, you know, fraud detection, et cetera. So sometimes when you see the pitch and you ask a question and two, and like they put it as a side component, which I think is the majority of component, not the side component, 
that adds red flags to me. Like, uh, folks, yeah, you should have to better understand, you know, the landscape that you're trying to chase because that's, you know, we've invested in companies like this. That That's going to be a very important component, you know, and that's maybe one example. But I think when it's, I don't want to say, because founders have to be optimistic. That's super important, right? But when, when you see a notion of things are going to be easy and we'll do this in two months and three months and soft launch and full launch, et cetera, that, that's a big red flag for me. Like, you know, that means that I'm not sure that they understand the path that they're going to. Yeah. So for every yes, when it comes to making that investment decision, how many no's are you currently having to say? Well, our ratio is pretty high. I think we're around 60 to one. Yeah, we're getting a lot of deal flow. Uh, we actually measure this pretty tight. Yeah, I think it's around 60, 70 to one plus minus. Mm-hmm. When yeah. it comes to founders referring founders, it's like one, to, two to one or three to one. So we're, that's a good yeah. source. That is, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think so too. So what is hard about your job as an investor? Hard is a difficult word. I think that our challenge every day, as we discussed in the beginning, is, is really to make sure that we're generating value. And, and that's what keeps me awake at night, I think, you know, because at the end of the day, that's, you know, I want to make sure that that's constant. And it was easier when we had four portfolio companies, it's a bit more difficult when we had 10, much more difficult when we had 20 and now we have 25. So it's, you know, that's a, that's a high multiple and we're not going to stop anywhere soon. So, you know, so hopefully we'll have many more. You know, there's always the balance between an investor because sometimes you're their partner. Sometimes you have a different angle to the story and, and it's totally fine because, that's part of our job. I can tell you somebody who set up B games, I my difficult nights are the same challenges that my entrepreneurs have, right? I don't know. I was sure I'm going to get a big check from an LP and uh, last minute they decided to change their, you know, change their notion or change their strategy. A company that I was thought is sky highing and I just put a big check is now difficult days. But again, in general, I'm a very optimistic person and I try to take from any challenge, any challenge that an opportunity. So I don't know if hard is, is something that I feel comfortable with, but of course there are challenges and, you know, but we love challenges. That's part of what we eat for lunch. Hey, hey, Tana, here's a bunch of final questions for you what is your favorite book and why okay so there's there's a book in hebrew which i have to uh, let me read i'll send you the name because i don't remember it's it's in hebrew it's a guy who has severe adhd and they wrote about 10 tips for adhd people on how to manage businesses i don't know if i have adhd or not i've never checked i have a feeling that yes but what i love about this book is that you can read 10 sentences and you get the entire content of the book i actually got that as a present i think three or four months ago and by far that's my favorite on a business aspect i'll send it to you if you want i don't know if it has a translation but uh, you know it 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 really it's it's like everything you would think about business and i've been in the business world for 15 years in 10 sentences which is amazing because sometimes we know it's hard to find it's hard to find a lot of thoughts into one or two words yeah so that's i think my favorite i'm not a big reader i'm more listener but uh yeah i've read that and it took me six minutes but that's Easy, right? You, you know, very distilled. Yeah. I, I like reading biographies of, you know, people who did, who did big things in life. I think that's also, I read a book about Steve Jobs, which was super interesting. There's this book that talks about Elon Musk. So yeah, I think, you know, people who did big things and very visionary and how they, how they approached it, I think is also an interesting read. Yeah. I've been going through biographies of US presidents. That's, yeah. that's also pretty good. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, do you have a, story that shaped you and how you approach your work today oh yeah 
for sure. So in my second company, I tried to fundraise for, I think, six or eight months, and I totally failed. And I remember each and every investor, how they treated when they said no. You know, some were more aggressive, some were more polite, some sent me an email, some sent me a text message. And coming into the world of VC, I was an entrepreneur before. I was never, you know, I was an angel investor, but that's not a VC. And I try to remember that every day as an investor. So of course, you know, the Navy, and there are so many things in my life that built my character. I'm a father of four kids, you know, happily married. And so there are many things in life that, you know, I think built Eitan to the age of 40 and who I am today. And and I still, of course, have to improve many things. And if you ask my wife, many, many things. But, but I think that, you know, how I received the no as an entrepreneur is something that I remember every day as an investor. And we try to communicate with every founder that we approaches us, doesn't matter how they approach us. And we try to give detailed responses, even if it takes us a lot of time, because I think we have to. It's part of our responsibility. You know, we're here to deploy capital, but we're also here to say no and to describe why we said no. And, and yeah, and, and it's super important to me personally, based on, you know, my experience in the past. The fact that I came to this world not as uh, doing investments for 10 years is a big advantage. That's how I see it. Final question. What is the best way for people in the audience, entrepreneurs, to get in contact with you? They can literally do whatever they want. They can ping me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. They can enter our website, vgames.vc. They can email me. It's atanr at vgames.vc. I promise, give us 48 hours, we'll reply to anyone. We try to be cautious of people's time and our own time. So if we don't feel that the opportunity is interesting enough for us or not down our aisle, then we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that. But we try to take as many calls as possible. Daniel and my team, he leads the deal flow. 50 or 60% of his time is meeting opportunities and learning and exploring. So Please don't hesitate. Like if people, they heard us now and they were, they're not sure if they're down the aisle of V games or not, just contact us. And we promise to always reply and give detailed responses. Yeah. And as I said, geo agnostic, stage agnostic, good products, good teams. And we're more than happy to look at it. Hey, it was really good chatting with you, Ethan. There's so much you guys are doing, doing really good stuff for the industry. Just to be here and, and do those checks. Like it's it's moving the needle for sure for the whole industry. So thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks. Sorry for the some technical issues, but really happy. Really, I'm a I'm a big fan. So thanks. Yeah. I think you're doing good, man. You're doing really good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There's a lot to do still. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, we're a, we're a young industry. You know, we're not around for so many years, and I'm telling you, we're only at the bridge of the beginning. Crypto is one. Public markets. This is going to change. Like, you know, people were going to see EBITDA-driven companies year over year. The EBITDA is not going anywhere. And they'll understand that this is a, this is the real thing. You know, it's, it's, it's maturity. It's going to take time. We need patience, like building games. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Hopefully see you thanks, soon man. live somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's hey. invest together. That's important. <laughs> yeah, let, that's the next step. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye bye. If you like our content, please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at elitegamedevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. 
See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.